we're going back to basics today in Investing Mastermind podcast because we're going to talk about circle of competence, which is one of the most important things in investing, according to Warren Buffett, and the thing that should kind of be the foundation of your investing practice. So circle of competence means something that you know about. So when you stay within your circle of competence, that is the field where you know everything about that theme or about that topic. But when you go outside of that circle, that's when it becomes murky and you should really stay inside your circle of competence. You're listening to Investing Mastermind Podcast and I'm Sina Lundholt. I'm Michelle Markey. So investing within your circle of competence means that when you buy a stock, when you sit there looking at NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange, that instead of just buying the stock, you want to ensure that it's actually something that you know a bit about. And that actually can range from anything. It could be your professional expertise, something that you work with. Maybe you work at an office and use a certain computer program that you know works really well. And that's a way where you can start to actually put that stock, that company, that brand on a wish list and start looking into that stock. Or it could be that you know a lot about, like for myself, I've worked a lot with fan communities and with you know, how is legal compliance within fan communities? So when I see a company that has a strong fan community, then for me, it's something that's within my circle of competence because I kind of know something about fan communities and intellectual property and things like that, where I have an advantage. How about you, Michelle? Some of my circle of competence might be everyday things I use and enjoy like coffee. I like drinking coffee in the morning. So Part of my circle of competence is something simple like Starbucks. Like I generally get what their business model is of serving this highly caffeinated beverage to the masses. And I'm still a shareholder in Starbucks stock. So, and I used to work there when I was growing up as a teenager and in college. So to me, I think I understand the business of Starbucks. So that's something that's within my circle of competence. So, you know, with a lot of us, you just have to think about what's a naturally appealing subject matter to you. Like you don't have to be a rocket scientist, but maybe you happen to be especially passionate about electric batteries. So there's so much going on in the electric battery space, like with Tesla and how, you know, I, I saw a little news clip about there's this toxic lake in California that could give us enough lithium to make us self-sufficient in making batteries. And, you know, obviously batteries are going to be important the more that America pushes for electric vehicles. So that could just be something you care a lot about. Like you're super enthusiastic about chemistry and science, and maybe that's part of your circle of competence. So there could be so many things that people like just naturally gravitate to that you are excited to learn about. Like you actually don't mind say going to the library and borrowing a book on this topic because you're just into it. And then you take this knowledge and you try to see what companies are doing things in this space that you feel like you have knowledge about. A part of this is that I don't have the same circle of competence that Michelle has, or if you're an engineer or something like that, that you have. So we each have our unique circle of competence. And when we talk about this uniqueness, it actually reminds me of a meeting 
I was attending. It was a, a meeting, a roundtable with a lot of investors, amateur investors, as well as professional investors, where we're discussing investing in general. And I mentioned a business in that roundtable that I've been interested in. It's within my circle of competence. It's a media company. And as an educated journalist, I know a lot about content, a lot about intellectual property. As I mentioned about fandom, you know, what, what does people actually gravitate towards? So I do have quite a lot of knowledge about media and about key performance indicators and things like that in the media business. And there was this company that was, you know, trading below what's called book value, which is absolutely amazing. It was, you know, to, with the information I had looked into, I could see it was, it was a great business and it had, in my opinion also, or have an honest management team. So in this round table, I was talking about this company and I also just want to say that because I'm based in Denmark and, and because of Danish laws, I'm not allowed to mention which company that is because I'm not allowed to influence anyone since we have this podcast. So I can't mention this company, but I can mention it was a media company and it was trading below book value. And I brought it up in this roundtable and some of the people picked it up. So I also want to say that this was going on at nighttime in Denmark. So I'm in Denmark. This was, you know, it's investors from all around the world, but it was in US time zone. And after 9 p.m., I'm sorry, I kind of start parking my brain. <laughs> so I just, I'm not very functional after 9 p.m. So this was even later and mentioned the company. And then, you know, a group of these investors starting discussing the company and how risky it was to invest in a media company right now because of all the streaming that's going on. And they were talking a lot about streaming and, you know, there's this book about streaming. And all the while I was sitting all confused about this conversation and thinking, I, I don't understand this conversation these guys are having at all. And it wasn't until the next day that it dawned on me, it was because there was a bunch of people that was talking about a company that was outside their circle of competence. So they were talking about things that really wasn't important, in my opinion, about this business, you know, streaming was a very, it's a very small part of how this business earn their money. So I was all confused about that conversation. And the next day when I was more fresh, I was like, oh, actually that was kind of fun listening to people discussing something that's within my circle of competence, but it's not inside their circle of competence. So actually they, they don't even know where to begin the discussion because I was like, how come they're spending so much time discussing streaming? I was so puzzled about it. <laughs> have you ever experienced something like that or have any stories to share about cir circle of competence? Well, sometimes I feel like I'm in the boat of the people who talk about things that are not quite in my circle of competence. Like, even though, you know, I like kind of tangentially talking about big tech, it's not always 100% in my circle of competence, but it's, it's sort of buzzy to talk about like, ooh, Amazon, NVIDIA, Apple, Google, like, it sounds fun to talk about, but sometimes I feel like I get schooled by others. Like when I talk with my friend Gabe on my YouTube channel, and he's telling me a lot about what some of these big tech companies are working on. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know Gemini is the engine that goes in one of the AI, you know, applications like Bard or whatever. Like, I didn't even know 
that's underlying that. So it it reveals how much I'm outside of my circle of competence whenever I'm a little bit less than clued in on some of what these big tech companies are up to. So it's a good point you raise. And I think it's interesting when you have done the work, like you clearly, you know all about that media company's intellectual property and you know what are the drivers of their business and they're, the drivers of their business are not so reliant on streaming, unlike say a Netflix maybe, like a Netflix, like they are heavily dependent on creating a huge content library and that's part of their growing business model is like they need to have that. So eventually when, you know, the the people that, gave them access and license to stream friends or everybody loves Raymond or whatever, like all those shows, they might someday be not licensable to Netflix and they need to have their own shows like Bridgerton or whatever's popular that people might feel like they want to come back to in 10 years. And they have some shows that people may or may not feel that way. Like who knows, maybe after the Bridgerton series comes out, they'll never want to watch that again. Like that's just maybe how some of these shows go, but they want to develop that content library. So streaming is, is a real big part of the Netflix business of whatever the trends are with streaming and so on. So like, but there are so many legacy media companies that that's not necessarily what their value really is in. Like they might have a huge content library, like a Disney that a Disney you know, sure, Disney does streaming, but I've heard that streaming has been a laggard for something like a Disney. Like they've been losing a lot of money in streaming as opposed to that driving the results of their business. Yeah, exactly. And that's also what I can see, you know, when I look at the media landscape is that, you know, streaming isn't necessarily that great of a business. Whereas, you know, if you own some intellectual property, some rights to certain shows, or if you have a large content library with evergreen content, you know, then if let, let's say that we're facing a time right now where people don't buy movie tickets, but want to stay home and maybe stream or watch something online, you know, if we, we go into an environment where it's too costly for production companies to actually produce something new when you have a, a content business that are you know having a lot of ip intellectual property rights and have a lot of content what they can do is to utilize some of that content that's been produced in the past into making new movies new nature movies and you know new fiction movies but even with, you know, if, if they wanted to produce content with AI, they still had the intellectual property rights to produce content for these IPs within AI so that they could produce really low cost content utilizing artificial intelligence and still having the rights to actually, for example, utilize Netflix and coming out with a new show which people really love about that brand, about that IP. So I, I really think that a strong moat, which is what Buffett calls competitive advantage. And I believe they have a really strong competitive advantage and they're competing against other media businesses. But because this business is also trading at a really low price, then, you know, I just see there's a, a large upside to that business. But the main point here was listening to someone that's discussing something that's within your circle of competence, making 
not really any sense in what they're talking about until, you know, like, oh, okay, it's because it's not within their circle of competence. It's a real, really surreal experience. And that's why you can't always talk to people about your expertise, about things that are within your circle of competence. So you might actually have different networks where you discuss things. So, you know, like a, a round table with investors, or it could be with other engineers where you could prove your case, even though they're not investors, but where you could discuss this. Am I seeing things right? Do you think that they, you know, this company is a, is a great business with the IPs they have, or if you're an engineer or a computer programmer, you know, with, with the tools that you're using in your everyday life and discuss it with different people. So that's where circle of competence, you know, is it's important to have people to discuss this with. And uh, Michelle and I, we're your friends here in trying to to discuss some of these topics and expand your knowledge around some of these areas. Today, it's, you know, like kind of a basic thing that we've discussed before, but really trying to unpack it because what Michelle and I also talked about is that in the world today, it's just so important to go back to Warren Buffett investing basics with, with all the craze that's going on. Yeah, I mean, something I've learned about my circle of competence is that it's not always as strong as I thought it was. So even though I thought I've done some research and I thought I knew some things, and then I sort of kicked myself when I didn't invest in certain companies or, you know, it's it always feels like I'm somewhat second guessing myself a little bit. And that might reveal to me that my circle of competence is not really as strong as I thought it was. So I still have not done enough homework. I haven't really had the opportunity to dive in as deeply as I would like into certain areas of my interest. So, you know, for example, someone at my work recommended to me, if you really want to learn about AI, listen to this audiobook, let's say. And I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. And I'm like, I need to find the time to do that of if I want to get more into AI and figure out how it impacts a lot of big tech businesses so I can figure out perhaps what the direction is that some of these big tech are going. I need to get a stronger circle of competence around AI and machine learning, all that good stuff, because otherwise I feel like I'm going to get left behind. And in terms of just keeping up with, you know, kind of what's happening in tech. And it's not like we're necessarily trying to fully predict, but you want to have some idea when we talk about circle of competence, some conviction in your investing decisions of, it's not about predicting like, oh, XYZ big tech company is going to make X dollars because they're going to use this AI model and it will give them a ton of advertising revenues. It's not quite predictive like that, but it's more like you gather the evidence of knowing like, okay, I know they will leverage this. I don't know to what extent, but this is what they said during their earnings call and in their 10K. This is what the company is proposing they do. And then you have to kind of compare and contrast going back over time, did the CEO fulfill on their promises of what they said that they would do and also track some of the fundamental indicators like return on invested capital. Did that actually increase over time based on what the company set out to do? So there are certain metrics that I should hold myself accountable to, to actually checking and monitoring that and see if that's come to pass. So I haven't always done the work like that. And so that's why it's, it's really telling to me when I'm, I've been swimming outside of my circle of competence. 
yeah, Michelle, and then you mentioned AI, and AI has definitely been a game changer, not only for tech, but also for content and media companies. Now, all of a sudden, with, you know, chat GPT coming out, you can write something or you can create art in just a matter of minutes. So how is that actually going to impact media companies and content companies, not only tech, right? So it definitely has been a game changer. And we don't know necessarily yet to what extent. Also, because what we've been seeing is that intellectual property right has been broken that, you know, with the with the AI machines, what's happening is that not, you know, with text, some texts are copied from works of art and as well as, you know, uh, photos and images. Some AI is now saying, well, we, we won't allow you to actually copy people that are living today and it's also because you know we've we've seen a lot of content that we can't trust anymore with photos of former presidents or something like that in a context that actually wasn't real but where the photos looked real and we're going to see even more of that in the future so the impact of ai we don't know yet is like the impact of the internet we wouldn't have known 20 30 years ago what the impact of the internet would be like today where we see shops have closed and instead people are buying things online and so many things are happening online. We're having, you know, a meeting online and we're being able to actually deliver this podcast to you. So we don't know where AI is going to take us and it's definitely going to influence a lot of our circle of competences. So I think it's a good idea to get an understanding of AI at least just a little bit, but it's very difficult. And that's where Warren Buffett has this quote where you could use, he says it about the internet as far as I remember, but you could, re, you know, replace AI or the internet with AI. But I, I think the quote was something like, the internet won't change the way you chew gum. So that's something that we can go back to. The way we dress are not impacted or the, what, you know, we need to eat, we need to have clothes on our bodies. So what are some basic things, some elementary things that we as human beings need and go back to some of those core things where we say okay it's definitely in our circle of competence that absolutely we need something to eat and we maybe also need toothpaste or something like that just mm -hmm. to you know make it really simple it's not going to change the way we brush our teeth ai or maybe it is maybe yeah. it is <laughs> Well, yeah, and that's to the point of like a lot of people know Buffett was very resistant to investing in tech for a long time until he invested via Berkshire Hathaway in Apple. And we know that Apple has revolutionized a lot of our lives. And that was the kind of tech that he was able to get within his circle of competence. But there could be others like maybe some people at Berkshire thought they had a circle of competence in Taiwan Semiconductor and they had put $4 billion into it. But then in a couple of quarters after they sold all of it. So just because, you know, you, you thought it was in your circle of competence, but maybe something that might not be in your circle of competence is say overarching geopolitical tensions that, you know, there's a lot of potential conflict out there that could either take away or be a boost to some businesses. So you know, even if you do understand and you you feel like you got it, like this kind of company should have a lot of runway. But then sometimes when you can't predict these other things, no matter how much you understood something, then you need to know, 
okay, I don't know what's going to happen. I no longer have conviction about this company's future. Therefore, I think that's what contributed to Berkshire bailing out of Taiwan Semiconductor. So in a similar way, I feel like I didn't understand semiconductors enough a couple of years ago. So I didn't really buy into any of them, not even NVIDIA. And it's like, you know, in hindsight, I wish I did. Like, I wish I bought like some, but I'd be gambling because it wouldn't be in my circle of competence. So, you know, we could always sort of kick ourselves and be like, oh, shucks, I should have, you know, just invested in it, even if I didn't really know. But then you can also sleep better at night that if you feel not confident that it's within your circle of competence, then you don't have to force it. You can just be like, you know what? It's all right. I don't need to know everything there is about semiconductors. If if I feel like I don't have the the time or wherewithal to learn about it. And, you know, you if if it's just not really gravitating to you, it's okay. Like you can, you don't have to force it, even if you see a lot of other people getting into it and you're like, oh, they must know something I don't, but maybe they don't know something. They're just going into it because they heard their friend Bob get into it and they're like, oh yeah, Bob says it's a good idea. So, you know, just because Bob says it's a good idea, Bob, how do you know that Bob is right? You have no idea. So, you know, I wouldn't just get into this sense of group think and believe anybody on the internet, like, you might be participating in some Reddit forums and everyone's like, oh yeah, GameStop. It's the it's the best stock of all time in 2021. And then, you know, I just watched the movie Dumb Money not too long ago. So it's sort of fascinating seeing like everyday kinds of people like a nurse or someone who worked at a GameStop. They, you know, had different experiences by participating and trying to be a copycat of roaring kitty and it's like you know some people had mixed results some people did incredibly well including the roaring kitty guy himself he ended up pretty well from what he believed in and it's just incredible how you know sometimes if you did the fundamental analysis like he did he walked away from gamestop i think with 23 million dollars which is pretty great so that was in his circle of competence, but a lot of the people who just followed him blindly and, and were kind of just in it just because it was the hot thing to do in 2021, they may or may not have walked away from that with a profit. Yeah. And um, Michelle, I remember something that you talked about as a way of checking the company or ensuring that it's in within, within your circle of competence. And what you said is to just buy some practice shares or not practice shares, but get your toes wet and, and buy a few shares of that company. And maybe that will catapult you into wanting to learn about the business or you're going to find out, no, I just don't have the energy and then you can sell again. And, and that's a way to kind of get to know a company. Is that something that you still do? Yeah, I, I buy like practice shares every now and then and try to keep tabs on it. Like, like I bought a few shares of an IPO last year that, you know, it's like sort of dangerous because if you look at the Buffett principles, he stays away from IPO. So I bought some of it just because I saw it come to a low point and I am just holding on to a few just for fun. So I'm not really expecting much from it, but over time, if I see more financial performance out of this fresh company that just started trading on the stock market last year, then over time I can build more of an investing case. So yeah, I still do that every now and then, but I'm not trying to own a lot of an IPO company that is still unproven in the stock markets up and down. So 
we don't know yet how that's going to go, but it's going to keep my interest in it because I own a few shares in it. I used to have this, or I still do. I have this part of my portfolio, which is about 10% of my overall portfolio. That's, I call my gambling portfolio. So I don't really do gambling anymore because I've learned that I have much more success <laughs> using Buffett's way of investing. But back in the day when I was fresh and, uh, you know, I just started using Buffett strategy. I was, I still had some things I wanted to do. Yeah. So, uh, so I also have a part of my portfolio where there's still some things in that I bought, which is outside of my circle of competence and not something that I learned through Buffett investing. But yeah, as mentioned, I, I just, I stopped doing that because I have much more success following Buffett's rules than than gambling <laughs> to be honest so is that i mean that's that's a testament like you know cena yeah. could be she could be an anomaly maybe all of your friends are super successful at day trading and gambling and you're like they know what they're talking about i don't need to listen to michelle and cena but you know sometimes some people's luck run out someday so you know something could be working now but what we're trying to help teach is something that's sustainable that you can trust for decades like in some of the berkshire shares i bought in the last few years i plan on holding them forever like i will never sell so you know if you have that kind of faith in something that you know they will continue to put up performances even if there's no more charlie munger and warren buffett someday when sadly it will be warren buffett's time someday just like you know, one of my favorites and your favorites, Charlie, even so the companies that they influence like Berkshire Hathaway and Daily Journal, they continue to have that culture of achieving and doing the right thing. And as long as they keep adhering to the Buffett principles, I continue to see them doing well in the world. So, you know, things like that, once you have conviction in certain companies, you, you know, there would have to be a strong negative case for you to want to sell them. But as long as they stay true to the foundation of what made them such a great company to begin with, hopefully they'll continue to thrive. And some companies will hopefully last more than 100 years. And on that high point, we'll end the show for today and we'll be back in a week from now on Tuesday. Till next time. If you enjoyed the show and found the content informational, we would be super grateful if you would leave us a review and follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you automatically get new episodes in your feed. We publish a new show every Tuesday. The contents of the Investing Mastermind podcast are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. None of this is investing advice, and if you need help in your personal situation, please consult with a professional.